This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Welcome to the Mutual Audio Drama Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. Welcome back to Mutual Presents, and from our Sunday Showcase lineup, we're back with another episode of the Mutual Radio Theater. This week's double feature includes those who can. Oh, that's the buzzer. Penny and I better get to our seats. This is Cicely Tyson. The Kalenga Pass in Los Angeles is the main thoroughfare between Hollywood and the huge studios of Universal and Warner Brothers Columbia. I'm standing near a row of shabby storefront buildings, only one of which is decently kept up. It's painted a fresh, bright blue. And there's a sign on it reading, The Richard Acting Workshop. Richard is standing outside the building, picking bits of trash off the sidewalk and stuffing them into a brown paper grocery bag. Every once in a while, he stops and glances up the street toward Hollywood. Richard is an attractive man in his mid-forties, very fastidious, and a bit nervous as well, I would think. He has a good reputation as a drama coach. Not so much among the film industry people. They know his name, although they're much too busy to ever stop at his workshop. Where his reputation is strong is among the young, struggling actors. To them, Richard's classes are an inspiration and a chance to explore their talent. Richard gives them the will to keep on, even when one film company after another turns them away. Oh, here he is. The person Richard has been looking for. That's Jerry Wainwright, Richard's assistant in his red pickup truck. Hey, Jerry. What? I just got the break I've been waiting for. Paramount called. They want me to coach the star of their next picture. And that's only the beginning of our story. Mutual Radio Theater, a new adventure in radio listening. Five nights of exceptional entertainment every week. Brought to you in Elliot Lewis's production of the Mutual Radio Theater. Our story... Those Who Can by Patricia Joyce. Our stars, Rick Jason, Linda K. Henning, Joan McCall, and Byron Kane. As Jerry follows Richard into the acting studio, he thinks that it is about time that Richard got some recognition for all his hard work. Once, half-joking, Jerry had asked Richard what the purpose of life was. Richard replied, excellence, to be really excellent at one thing. 
In my case, that one thing is teaching acting. Jerry's in awe of Richard, but he's not sure he likes him. Nothing, even friendship, gets in the way of Richard's struggle for excellence. It's a trait that broke up his marriage. He was working late with an acting class and forgot to pick up his daughter after her ballet class. As a result, the child had walked home in the rain and come down with pneumonia. It was the last straw for Richard's wife, and she divorced him. Well, who is it? Huh? The star. Star? The one you're coaching for the film. Oh, right. I'm going to make some fairly good money for once. Maybe I'll have the office carpeted. You can be very aggravating. What do I do? Sometimes when you're not teaching, your brain is fur-coated. I know. I, I get on tangents. Were you asking me about the chairs? The star. Who are you coaching for the film? Oh, Ramona Russell. Uh, she a pretty good singer? Oh, she's incredible. That's what I heard. She's got the voice of the century. She does disco, punk rock. She does a couple of ballads that can tear your heart out. So they're giving her an acting job, huh? Right. Will you stop moving those chairs around, Richard? They're not straight. You're a nervous wreck. I can feel it from here. Well, it's a thankless role for me, isn't it? Everybody thinks she's such an incredible singer, they'll expect me to make her an equally good actress. If I fail, they'll blame me, not her. Oh, you can do it. Maybe. Sure you can. Maybe I've been kidding myself. Maybe my ideas about acting don't work. They work. Well, I'll find out soon enough. Richard, why are you doing that? It has to be right. The studio has to be set up right. Please, don't move the chairs now. I'm going to be as buggy as you are. I have to get a student to work with her, a girl. Why? Well, obviously, I can't bring her into class. It has to be private coaching. Now, you'll work with her, and I'll ask one of the girls. Um, what about fat, shy little Sally? She's very talented, but she's not enough of a beauty to make Ramona uncomfortable. That matters? Well, you know, you hear stories. And? Ramona Russell's stories are usually about her snubbing other attractive women. Hmm. Well, Sally, what do you think? What do you mean you don't know? Well, I, I don't I don't think I can act opposite Ramona Russell. I mean, how can I listen to her on the radio and then come in here? Just do what you do in class. But, but Richard, oh, there's something you don't know about me. Uh, see, I've had a couple of auditions, and uh, what happens is uh, it doesn't happen, you know? No. I clam up. My vocal cords get all weird, and, and I sound like an untuned violin. Hey, don't, don't make me do it, please. Well, of course I won't. I thought you'd want to. Well, I'm honored. Then do it. I'm afraid. Sally, that's silly. You're a fine actress, and this other lady has never acted in her life. She should be afraid, not you. You really think I can do it? Jerry and I had a long talk. We think you'd be perfect. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> I guess I could try. Then it's set. I I'll have to talk to the other girls at Scheherazade's palace and uh, see if I can change my waitressing hours. All right. I'm sure I can change them. Oh, I almost forgot. You'll be paid. No, no, no. It won't be no, much. No, really, don't. It no. won't be much. No, no, uh, honest, please, please don't pay me. Now, look, me. your salary's in the budget. What am I supposed to do, keep your check? No, 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 just pretend I'm not there and don't give it to me. Sally. What? It's time you got used to the idea that someone might want to pay you to act. Oh, uh, but you don't have to. Hey, take it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. 
One thing I still don't understand. I mean, uh, with all the beautiful, talented actresses at the studio, why did you pick me? Will you look at this? What? Come on, you two, away from the window. She can't see us, Richard. She's got a, a baby blue roll and a chauffeur. Why, oh, I bet I could live for five years easy on the money that car costs. Really? Hey, what is this, amateur night in Dixie? A little eye peering out through a hole in the curtain? And those jeans she's wearing, they cost $83. I saw them in a window in Beverly Hills. Now, just remember, she's not here to show off her nice things. She's here so that we can share something we've got with her. What, overdue phone bills? Artistry and our acting work. Art. That and $83 will get us a pair of those jeans. All the money in the world can't buy talent. Now settle down and act like pros. Come on, make me proud of you. Okay, sorry. Wonder what the devil is keeping her out there. Well, don't look. Oh, I have to mm, go to the lady. Oh. Go on, then. I'll wait. I'll get the door. Richard? Uh, no, I'm his assistant, Jerry Wainwright. Nice to meet you, Jerry. Ramona Russell. I know. I have all your albums. Oh, that's sweet. I'm Richard Sedley. It's a pleasure. They speak so highly of you over at Paramount. They do? Oh, I wouldn't be here if they didn't. Uh, this is Sally Miller. She and Jerry will be working on some scenes with you. Oh, good. Oh, my man, What? I, I like your jacket. <laughs> oh, thank you, Sally. How sweet. Listen, Richard, something really urgent has come up. I have a bowling date with a sheik. <laughs> Can you believe it? That's urgent? Well, this particular sheik is putting up a million cash on my film, the one you're coaching me for. The publicist set up the meeting, and by the time he told me, it was too late to reach the sheik and cancel. That's not a good way to start off. Well, that's exactly what I told the publicist. But it won't happen again. I should hope not. I gave the publicist our schedule and told him to keep these hours clear. Good. Oh, I felt that the least I could do was to come by in person and tell you what's going on. Thank you, Ramona. Well, we'll see you Wednesday then. You got it. I've got to get on with it. I'm really running fashionably late. Well, thanks for being so understanding. You're all really very sweet. Goodbye. Talk to you Wednesday then. Bye. Bye. <sighs> She's so thin. Boy, what a woman. You can understand why somebody would want to make a woman like that a star. Huh, Richard? What do you think? I think we've been had. In the little apartment behind the acting workshop, Richard stands staring out at the hazy night. The digital clock reads 3.07 a.m. He wanders back to his kitchen and fixes himself another cup of chamomile tea. He is thinking about Ramona Russell. He always tells his students to act from their guts. Trust their guts. Now his guts are telling him that Ramona is trying to put something over on him. He has a tough job ahead if he's to help her. But at least he understands the problem now. He pads off to bed, leaving his chamomile tea untasted and forgotten in the kitchen. Hi. 
You're late. I know. I'm so sorry. I got held up with the costumers. Oh, it was horrendous. I've been on tour since she fit me, and I've lost six pounds. Nothing fit right. I was sure you'd understand. As far as I understand, the level of performance is a lot more important than what the performer is wearing. Yes, I see your point. I'm so sorry. Let's start. And this is the last time you'll come late or leave early. Oh, of course. Now, tell me all about acting. Well, there's only so much I can tell you. The best I can do as a teacher is to set up situations in which you can discover your acting ability for yourself. Wonderful. I base my work on one simple exercise. You and a partner, either Sally or Jerry, will play out different dialogue scenes. As you work, try to tune in on what your partner is feeling deep down behind the words and respond to that. Basically, acting is reacting. Sit over here. Yes. Jerry, sit opposite her and we'll read a scene. Now, of course, on the set, the process will be complicated with frame lines and hitting marks. Oh, I know about all that. I've sung on TV dozens of times. But the frills aren't as important as the basics. What matters is getting so wrapped up in him that you forget yourself, and then you'll find yourself responding in an honest and creative way. Sounds terribly grand. <laughs> it's deceptively simple. Shall I read the woman's part? <laughs> Whenever you're ready. Hello, Sam. I haven't seen you for a long time. I caught your act at the club tonight. Was it any good? I've heard you better. Jealous. Oh, you know better than that. I don't need to listen to a two-bit flugelhorn player anymore. You never did. Same old cantankerous R Sam. R Ramona, let me stop you. What? You're not working off Jerry. He's doing some lovely, subtle things. Like what? Oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> if, if you'd look at him, you'd see what I mean. Oh, Richard, you take everything so seriously. Now, we don't really have time to clown around. We don't? We have a lot of work to do, and I don't expect you to catch on right away. Catch on? Look, we'll take our time, but I need you to concentrate while you're here. Now, let's try it from the top. Wait a minute. Huh? Nobody can put a song over better than I can. Okay. I don't need to catch on to anything. Well, this should be easier for you since you're such a good singer, but I think there's... No buts. I'm not here because I need to learn anything. I think you need to learn a... I'm here because the studio made me come. You're really very sweet, but to be honest, I think that reading these scenes is going to be a waste of time. Well, you're wasting my time, Ramona. First, you were 40 minutes late. Now you're not even trying to do what I say. Can't we be a little more professional than this? That's what I'm asking you to be, professional. My performance will be fine. I doubt it. Not unless you really work. You can take my word for it or wait until the reviews come out. I'll wait until the reviews come out. All right. Well, let's call it a night. What? That's all we're done. Am I being punished for my bad attitude? I can't work with you unless you want to. Fine. I'll go. Oh, uh, Sally, toss me my jacket. Um, sure. Ramona? He speaks. Be still, my beating heart. We'll be here Friday. If you're on time, we'll get right down to work. <laughs> you shouldn't have done that, Richard. Of course he should have. If any of us are late, we get kicked out of class. Why should Ramona Russell be any different? Well, <laughs> 
At least it seems reasonable to expect her to be on time, old brother. She'll never be back. It's just as well, then. Well, that isn't very practical. There's a nice paycheck involved. You and Sally will get your money. But what about you? I can't take money to lie. Ramona Russell was in a dilemma. She didn't want to go to acting class and have Richard probe her personality and criticize her acting. Yet, she was even more frightened of public failure. She decided that acting class was the least painful alternative. She showed up on time Friday night. She did Richard's acting exercises and concentrated as hard as she could on Jerry and Sally. To her surprise, she found herself feeling little twinges of unexpected emotion. The feeling was familiar enough to Verona. It was like the excitement she had when she sang well for a live audience. A paradoxical sensation of complete recklessness and complete control. With each lesson, Richard encouraged her to let herself go more and more. Ramona decided that she trusted him, so she tried to do what he said. Then one day, while she was reading a scene with Sally... When I led tours, I used to get off the bus, and I could just hear what people were saying about me. You know, there's a run in her nylons. She has to change her hairstyle. It's a shame a girl her age isn't married. I used to do that with money. He only said he likes my dress because he knows I'm rich. <laughs> That's probably why I like you. You know what it's like to feel hurt. I think everybody does. Yeah. Now, at the end of every day, I have to forgive myself for all the awful things I've done. That would be hard. It was even harder when I found out uh, that I also had to forgive myself for all the beautiful things I'd done. Uh, Richard, uh, I have to stop. You are doing fine. <laughs> Why did you stop? Oh, I felt so ugly. Ah, just pick up where you were. No. Just right where you were. No, uh, come on. I, I look ugly. I, I don't want to. Okay. You sure? <laughs> I, I don't want to act like a kid, you know? Ramona, don't be ashamed of letting yourself be human. <sighs> Let yourself give in to your deeper feelings. <laughs> Why bother? Sometimes you learn things about yourself. Feelings you never let yourself be free enough to experience. You sound like my therapist. Except she has the requisite Viennese accent and a lot of unnecessary facial hair. <laughs> okay. We'll work on a scene with Jerry now. But your emotion was a really honest and interesting impulse. Don't be afraid to follow through if it happens again. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're very sweet, but I did hear you say that the first time. No need to do it up as a refrain. <laughs> tell you something. Oh? Uh, before, when we were doing the scene and uh, and you, you wanted to cry? Yeah. Well, you, you said you were worried about looking ugly. I did? Well, you said it a couple of times. Mm-hmm. But you, you didn't look ugly at all. You looked really beautiful. I, I never saw your face look so soft or, or vulnerable. I, uh, well, I, I thought you looked really good. Good? 
beautiful from inside. When you cry, um... Is that it? Uh, yeah, I guess. You don't believe me? No, I don't. I have to go. Right. Sorry. Good night. Good night. Why don't I ever say the right thing? Okay, Tom, if that's the way it is. I guess I'll see you when I pick up the kids. Right. Call if you ever want to talk. I will. Don't worry. All right. Thank you. Well, Ramona? What? How did that feel? Okay. Just okay? No, it felt pretty good. I... Go on. I really forgot myself there for a minute. Yes, I thought you did, too. I felt like you'd left Ramona, the singing star, behind and, and really put yourself into the place of that lonely, divorced woman. It's strange. Of course it's strange. You know, you've worked very hard to build up your singing star persona. It's hard to let go of that. But you are not that persona. There's much more to you than that, isn't there? Yes, but no one's supposed to know that. Oh, I, I don't mean that you should blather your secret life all over the screen, but just remember that the deeper person is who you really are. And that's the person you act from. I understand that now. Didn't you see a change, Sally? Oh, yeah. Uh, she's being uh, real simple and honest. I agree. Definitely. Simple and honest with a lot of depth. That's sweet. If you act in the film like you acted in that scene, you can get an Oscar nomination. Oh, come on. You will? You're just saying that. You know I've been honest with you. You really think I'll get an Academy Award? A nomination. I think you'll get a nomination for sure. No one can really predict who will get the Oscar. Oh, that'd be wonderful. That'd really show them over at Paramount, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes, it sure would. Ramona, I just want to tell you it's been so exciting working with a talented woman like you. That's sweet. It's meant a lot to me working with all of you. You've all earned a special place in my heart. Even you, Sally. Oh, um, thanks. I think I'm speaking for all of us when I wish you the best of luck on the set tomorrow. Oh, thanks, Jerry. Thanks, all of you. You're, you're welcome. Um, sorry. <laughs> I mean, uh, you're welcome, but I didn't mean to ooh, speak out of turn. Listen, what do you say we knock off now since things are going so well? Well, I... Uh... I brought a magnum of champagne to celebrate the end of our lessons. We could drink it now. <laughs> okay. I think that would be fine. Jerry, want to help me get it out of the car? Sure. Richard, are you okay? Fine. You look upset. I just realized it's over. I mean, we, we, we did it. We made her into an actress. Yeah, I guess. The rest is up to her now. Hello. Is Ramona Russell there? Richard Sedley. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I, I'm calling to congratulate her on her Oscar nomination. I sent her some roses. Did she get them, do you know? Uh, okay. Oh, she can reach me at my studio. 555-4261. Thank you. Bye. She's out. She'll get back to you. She didn't when I called before. Maybe she lost the number. I left it three times. Well, what difference does it make? 
You'd think she'd return my call, even if she had her secretary get back to me. You still want to watch her on that talk show? Of course. Is it time? Yeah. And then my daddy said, are you going to let a little thing like... That's her. She's already on. We missed the... Thing standing the way. And I said, no, sir. And I sang the Lord's Prayer in front of the whole congregation. (laughs) And uh, that's when you decided to become a singer? Oh, she looks great. Like the day she first came to the workshop, all glittery perfect... She was a different kind of animal from the rest of us. Not different, just more expensive. Well, that was when I admitted it in public. (laughs) A secret fantasy. But I know now they can come true. Um, Would you describe yourself as an overachiever? I don't like that expression, overachiever. Because it suggests that I wasn't meant to achieve much and did over what I should have been capable of doing. Oh, I see. (laughs) But I will say this. I read in a magazine that ministers' children, like myself, tend to accomplish more than children from any other professional group. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Ramona, we all knew you were a great singer. But I think we were all pleasantly surprised to see what a fine actress you are. Here it comes. Thank you. How did you learn? (laughs) I didn't. How's that? I'm what they call a natural actress. I've never had an acting lesson in my life. What'd you say? Weren't you nervous about doing a major role with no training? Mm, Not in the least. Well, I would be. Well, I think that I believe in doing things from my gut. Being simple and honest. I can't listen to this. I decided to act in the film like I do in real life. And it seems... Can you believe her? That's just the problem. I can. Tyson again, and here's the fourth act of Those Who Can. When the studio called and asked me to coach Ramona Russell, I couldn't believe it was happening. Half the time, I tried to shut it off, pretend that it wasn't going on. I know, I know. You've been real strange about it all along. But the thing is, you did it, and now that witch is trying to deny you. You don't understand. I've been seeing this job as not existing in my mind. So naturally, the thoughts that I manifest so strongly materialize in the real world. Oh, what is this garbage? I never visualized myself as the successful coach of Ramona Russell, so... I don't want to hear this metaphysical jargon. Call up that TV station and tell them who you are. I'm nobody. I don't understand you. I really don't. One minute, you're willing to sacrifice a nice fat paycheck because Ramona Russell won't listen to you. But then when she turns around and insults you... She didn't insult me. She pretends you don't exist on national TV yet. Isn't that an insult? Call that station and tell them the truth. It won't do any good. Those shows are all pre-taped. Besides, Ramona would just deny it. Then sue her. Oh, don't just sit there grinning like a happy martyr. Don't you see the justice of what she's done to me? I'll tell you what I see. I see somebody who has such a huge, overblown ego that one insult can totally deflate him. Huh? You know, I really feel like a sucker. All this time, I've been envying you because I thought you'd found something that really mattered. I thought you put your friends and family second because you loved the art of teaching and you loved your students. 
And now I see that you're only an arrogant, selfish guy who teaches because he wants to be praised as the great philosopher-teacher. I suppose I've never been content with what I am. Well, how could you be? Look at you. One insult and you're wallowing in self-pity. It's all self with you, Richard. Self-pity. Self-congratulatory. Self-deprecating. Self-impressed. Selfish. Sally? You're pretty early, aren't you? I wanted to, to talk to Richard. Well, he's not feeling well. He's resting up so that he can teach your class. Was he upset about Ramona? Yeah. I knew it. I guess I kind of blew my stack at him, too. And that didn't help. Why'd you do that? I don't know. I thought of lots of reasons. Being mad at Ramona, being jealous of Richard. Well, what'd you say to him? Oh, awful stuff. I don't want to talk about it. He's mad at you? No, he said I was right to say it. Is he in his apartment? Yeah. He doesn't feel well, Sally. Richard? I'm here. Well, why don't you turn on a light? It's quieter in the dark. Can you um, light a candle or, or something so we can talk? Okay. I, I just wanted to tell you that it's not you. It's Ramona. Mm -hmm. See, I came to this realization about her because I'd uh, been feeling bad. I mean, ever since she started to work with us, I, well, I, I thought she didn't like me. And, uh, well, <laughs> I thought there was something wrong with me. Well, about a month ago, she came into Scheherazade's palace, you know, uh, that dive where I work. And um, she sat down at one of my tables. I was real excited because um, I'd been telling the girls how I knew her, and I was all set to show off. So uh, I went up to her, and uh, she pretended she didn't know me. <laughs> At first, I thought it was the Scheherazade costume, because um, with that and and the makeup, I look a lot more zoftic <laughs> than I do in sweatshirt and jeans. Uh, so I said, um, Sally from Richard Sedley's, remember? Nothing. I, mean, I felt pretty terrible, needless to say. Then um, last night when I saw her do pretty much the same thing to you, I thought, it's not me. It's not Richard. It's her. There's something wrong with her. I, I don't know what to think about it. She's a bad person. I mean, I know that sounds too simplistic, but really, I mean, what would it have cost her to say a good word about you? Not one damn thing. I mean, not one. Maybe there's more involved than you can perceive right now. Well, that's true of everything, but still, I, I think... I want to rest before your class, Sally. Okay. Would you mind closing the door all the way when you go? Yeah, right. Sally? Jerry! Oh, oh! Hey, oh, I almost I, don't know you in that outfit. Hey, quit, quit looking, please. Uh, it's bad enough when creepy customers look at me, but, um, friends, <laughs> that's really... Oh, no, you look pretty spiffy. Uh, I should have asked you to meet me after work, uh, not while I'm still on the floor. It's all right, I'll wait. Oh, what the heck. I have a single man who keeps pinching me, and, and a couple who keep pinching each other. <laughs> I think they can take care of themselves for a while. 
Oh, I wanted to talk to you about Richard. What about him? He's been real weird lately. I mean, uh, he's a pretty weird person anyway. In a nice way, that is. But uh, since Ramona was mean to him, he's been weirder. Yeah, I know. I thought maybe you could talk to him. Oh, come on, Sally. Why not? I told you. I kicked him when he was down about this thing with Ramona. Well, but you still work for him. Yeah, that's what's so bizarre. Usually, Richard wouldn't take that kind of sass from anyone. He wouldn't even have taken it personally. He would have said something like, This person's attitude will prevent me from teaching accurately. And bango, I'd be fired. That sounds like Richard. But after this stunt Ramona pulled, he's been different. Well, why don't you apologize to him and um, try to straighten out everything? I did. I said I was sorry. He said, Fine. I feel like this whole thing is my fault. Oh, that's silly. But I always wanted to see Richard like this. Weak and apologetic. Not totally wrapped up in his teaching. And whether he was reaching somebody or not. Mm. You know, it's like secretly wishing somebody would die. And then they die. And you feel guilty. Oh, brother Cherry. What? We, we just can't let Richard go. What do you mean? Well, we, we can't just let him be an ordinary person who doesn't care. Well, maybe it's time he admitted that that's all he is. Oh, Jerry, that's terrible. It's the truth. It is not. I won't accept that. There's got to be more to my life than Scheherazade's palace. R- Richard was showing me those extra things. Your guy's calling you. What? That man sitting by himself wants another drink. That's not all he wants. So what are you all worked up about? Class! I told you, you were fine. I heard you. But you didn't feel fine, right? Your sarcasm's terrible. Sorry. You know, I'm really tired of you moping. I, 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 I'm tired of you not caring about us anymore. I care. You care about what creepy Ramona thinks, that's all. Just because I'm a waitress doesn't mean I'm not a human being. I mean, my feelings should count for something, too. They do, Sally. No, they don't. Come on. Well, they don't. I mean, I love class, but that doesn't mean beans to you. No, that matters. You're letting everything slide just because Ramona let you down. I know. Look, I I know how you feel. I mean, look at me. You're not looking at me, Richard. I see you. I'm a mirror for you. We're both people who are afraid to, to, to put themselves on the line, you know? Only... It's easier to see with me because uh, I hide under baggy clothes and an extra layer of fat. <laughs> but we're both afraid to get what we deserve. I don't know that I deserve anything. How can you say you don't deserve anything? It's what I feel. But I don't think you have the right. Oh, I don't? But because you're, you're, you're not denying a bad habit or, or some personal idiosyncrasy, you're... You're denying that that wonderful spark of creativity that you have, that you've passed on to me and some of the other kids in class, and even to Ramona. Well, obviously, Ramona doesn't... Ramona doesn't matter! Tell Paramount Studios that. What matters about Ramona is the spark of life that you opened up in her. You must know that. Well, she must, too, no matter what she says. Maybe. You know, I remember... I asked you about a book you were reading, and uh, and you said it was a book about creative consciousness. And you said your goal for us as actors was that we would lose our sense of self 
and become a part of the, the creative energy that was in all things, remember? Well, I... <laughs> I, I get a little pretentious. But, but I feel like I'm part of that energy when I'm acting in your class. I know that some people say there's no such thing as that, uh, I mean, a creative energy, but... But if you felt it like we have, you can't deny it, can you? Oh, well, I suppose you can, but, but you know what I mean. Yes, I do. I was, I was saying this to Jerry. I said that, that if you give up the idea that, that there's more in life than just dull routines, well, how will we find anything special to live for? Oh, I see. That's why Jerry was angry, too. What? I... I just understood something. I mean, maybe I should try to lose weight and get an agent and, and get an Oscar nomination. I mean, well, it wouldn't happen just like that. But but maybe if I became important and, and told everyone how much you'd help me... I needed to hear that. That I lose weight? That too. But mostly that my teaching reaches you. Oh. Now, I try to pretend that I can stand alone, trust my instincts to tell me that I'm good. But I don't need praise or, or encouragement. But everybody does. Maybe. Maybe. All I know is I need to hear that. I work so hard and sometimes I just have to... Well, you have to be appreciated, right? Right. This is Richard Sedley, two years after the story you've just heard. Paramount and the other studios have continued to send me singers, athletes, models, people whom they felt might draw box office crowds once they had some acting training. I've done my best with all of them. I hope I've been honest about my successes and failures. I've gotten the praise Ramona denied me. I've made a lot of money, bought a new studio. In short... I have all the ornaments of success that I've longed for. But mostly, I know that my real successes are the people who have opened up under my teaching. People like my current teaching assistant, Sally Miller. The other day I said, Remember when we used to call you fat, shy little Sally? She laughed and said, I most certainly do not. I blushed. It was hard to imagine that the timid girl who first came to me for acting lessons had grown into this confident, athletic young woman. But the truth was that she had, and I was proud of her. And proud of myself. Radio Theater is brought to you five nights a week at this time. Tonight's original radio play, Those Who Can, was written by Patricia Joyce and produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Your hostess was Cicely Tyson. Our stars were Rick Jason, Linda K. Henning, Joan McCall, and Byron King. The Mutual Radio Theater theme was composed by Nelson Riddle. John Harlan speaking. 
The Elliott Lewis production of Mutual Radio Theater is a presentation of CBI. Mutual Radio Theater has been brought to you by Sears, a name that means quality and value. A name that you can count on for service and dependability. Sears, where America shops for value. This is Leonard Nimoy. Listen to us tomorrow. I've got another story of adventure about men and women defying the odds. Listen here, tomorrow. This is Leonard Nimoy. The spotter helicopter flits across the rose and blue summer sky of the polar regions in search of leviathan prey. The most tremendous creatures the world has ever known are not extinct. Not yet. The peaceful whales, twice the size of the largest dinosaur ever unearthed, were not always so wantonly slaughtered by man. Whales once ruled the oceans fearing nothing, neither great white shark nor man. They once breathed freely, mated, and suckled their young with milk. They once grew. Their persecution began less than 200 years ago. Not even a tiny tear in the eye of carbon-dated time. But enough time for man to push their species to the brink of extinction. Spotter 1 to ship. Sector 7 is empty. I'm now commencing sweep of Sector 6. The helicopter will radio for a capture boat when he makes whale contact. And the capture boat will respond bearing death at the end of an explosive-tipped harpoon. The whales have learned to sound, dive deep at the approach of a capture boat's engines. They must surface shortly for air. Violent death is inevitable, for the whales have small chance of evading the spotter helicopter. This is the story of one blue whale's revenge. Mutual Radio Theater, a new adventure in radio listening. Five nights of exceptional entertainment every week, brought to you in Elliot Lewis's production of the Mutual Radio Theater. Our story, The Whale Savers by Bruce Martin. Our stars, Tommy Cook, Joan McCall, and True Boardman. Seagulls circled the sky, high above the international queue of ships docked in England's thriving Liverpool harbor. One ship, the Requiem, completes its preparations for a voyage different from that of any other ship in the harbor. The Requiem's voyage has but one purpose, to save whales. And that young man with the duffel bag slung over his shoulder, walking up the Requiem's gangplank, intends to join the crusade, one way or another. Hold on, mate. You're boarding the wrong ship. This is the Requiem, isn't it? It is. Well, then I've got the right ship. Captain Sutherland didn't mention that a Yank or anybody else would be signing aboard today. 
Well, maybe Captain Sutherland told the first mate to expect me and the first mate forgot to mention it to you. I am the first mate. Oh. I think you've got a delivery down there. Yes, it's our last load of fresh vegetables. Oh, button up, love. I know you're there. Look, the captain is expecting me. <sighs> All right. I can watch you the whole way up the bridge from here. Keep one eye on my stuff, will you? Everything I own is in that duffel bag. Come in. Captain Sutherland, I'm Mark Grogan. Oh, you. How did you get aboard my ship? Well, your first mate sent me up. I wrote you in my letters that I'd be dropping by for an interview. Yes, I stopped answering your letters after the first two. I have no need for a photojournalist. Well, I wrote you I'd be willing to sign on in any capacity. Deckhand, coal stoker, cook, you name it, just for the experience. Whatever educational training you've had obviously failed to explain the concept of the word no. Captain, you can't say no. The Requiem is setting out on an adventure I just have to document. There's so little true adventure left in the world today. Mr. Grogan, you are not welcome aboard the Requiem. Please leave. Immediately. As I went down the stairs from the bridge to the deck, I remember how much I hated Captain Sutherland for standing between me and the story that would make my professional reputation. Later, a great blue whale would radically change my selfish attitude. But that was later. While I was walking down those stairs, I had almost given up the story until I overheard the conversation of two crew members walking ahead of me. In an instant, I realized they were my ticket aboard the Requiem. But, Sophie, you must take my turn. Always there are grumbles when I cook. I'm not grumbling. <laughs> you have not tasted my cooking yet. I grumble while I cook, and everybody else grumbles when they taste my cooking. Nigel, I don't enjoy cooking either. But since our galley cook decided marriage was more fun than spending three months at sea saving whales, we all have to take our turns. Excuse me. I couldn't help overhearing your conversation. You see, I just applied for the cook's position. Oh, this is wonderful news. Yes. My name's Mark Grogan. And I am Nigel Olson, the resident marine biologist aboard the Requiem. And this beautiful young lady standing here beside me is... Oshi Nakamura. Anyone who reads a newspaper would recognize your face, Miss Nakamura. You have a good memory, Mr. Grogan. I haven't been in the public eye for two years. But you were saying Captain Sutherland has signed you on as the Requiem's cook? Actually, he turned me down. Why? Do you have no experience? Oh, I worked as a short order cook my last three years at college, and I can cook from a cookbook, which is no small talent. Why, compared to the rest of us, this young man is practically a chef. Did the captain say why he didn't hire you? I think it's because I'm not a committed conservationist like the rest of you. Then why do you want to sail with us? For the adventure. I don't want to put my foot in my mouth, but... I do have ambitions of writing someday. What kind of writing do you do? Story writing. I hope to be a novelist. But the pay is small aboard this ship. I'd work for room and board. I want this experience that bad. Sushi, I think Mr. Grogan would be a welcome asset. I agree. Let's go talk to the captain. You must be some charmer to bring this impressive delegation with you, Mr. Grogan. I'm just persistent, Captain. Yeah, that you are. Well, Saucy, Nigel, 
You're certain you both feel Mr. Grogan would fit in aboard the Requiem? Of course. A galley cook would allow your crew to concentrate on their duties instead of worrying about who cooks next. Yeah. And the fact that he plans to write about our voyage doesn't bother either one of you. And Mark told us about his writing. Very well, then. Now, uh, uh, before you assign ship's papers, Mr. Grogan, you should understand that any dereliction of duty is grounds for immediate dismissal. I'll drop you off at the nearest port. I understand. Of course, when we reach the Antarctic, there will be no nearest port. There will be no ports at all. We're sailing to the South Pole? Yes. We've had a first-hand report, a chip, that the Demus and a refrigeration ship are headed into Antarctic waters to hunt blue whales. What? Blue whales are protected by the International Whaling Commission. Nigel, why are you upset? You know pirate whalers don't recognize any of the International Whaling Commission's laws or quotas. When I am no longer outraged by illegal whaling, then the time is near when all whales may become extinct. I sign here, Captain. That's right. Soshi, please radio the harbor authorities that Mr. Mark Rogan has been officially added to the crew. Certainly, Captain. <laughs> I have the latest weather forecast, Captain. Good. And I brought the Harbor Authority's confirmation on Mark Rogan's listing. Yeah. How's the weather look? Cold and clear. Yeah, that's what I like to hear. You know, you know, you really surprised me walking in here with that Grogan. I didn't sign him on because I thought the last person you'd want to sail with would be a journalist. Then you suddenly... Mark didn't tell us he was a journalist. You said you knew all about his writing. He sees a big story in our confrontation with the Demas. I see. I can't believe how he misrepresented himself to Nigel and me. Well, too late to do anything about it now. Grogan signed his papers. I think he sees this voyage as his big chance to make a name for himself. Well, I won't help him. You can tell him that the first chance you get. Why don't you tell him yourself? It'll have more bite coming from you. Don't worry. I will. <laughs> Conservationist ship, Requiem, maintains its southerly heading through the cold Atlantic. She's bound for even colder waters in the Antarctic and a high seas confrontation with the pirate whaler, Demos. But the Requiem's quest is not exactly a harmonious adventure for the entire crew. Soshi, he surprised me. I'm looking for an egg beater. If you're here for a preview of tonight's dinner, it's breaded filet of sole. I can't believe your nerve, Mr. Grogan. Whoa, whoa, what's got into you? Quit playing so innocent. You lied to Nigel and me so we would help you get the cook's job aboard the Requiem. I didn't lie about anything. You lied when you neglected to tell us you were a reporter. Oh, okay, maybe I wasn't totally candid when you asked me what kind of writing I do. But I'm not here working on an assignment for anybody. I'm... I'm an aspiring journalist and photographer. Just be sure to leave my name out of your stories. I told you I'm not in the public eye anymore, and I want to keep it that way. Soshi, two years ago, you were the most photographed, the most talked about model in New York. You still have a large public out there interested in you. You could be the story of the year. The story of the year is being killed by explosive harpoons in the oceans. As for me... I just want to be an ordinary person again. Understand? Okay. Okay, you call the shots. I meant what I said. Stay away from me. 
I bet most whalers are just ordinary men earning a living, supporting families. Ordinary men don't hunt blue whales. I wasn't talking about pirate whalers, Smithy. The sad part, Mark, is that what we whale preservationists are advocating such things as population dynamics and stock assessments are in the whalers' best interests. The only trouble is the whalers don't believe us. Good evening, Soshi. Uh, come and join us. Smithy and Nigel have been educating me in our big fish of the sea. You use the word fish, Mr. Grogan, the way the whalers do. Whales are mammals, like you and me. Pardon my semantics. Oh, we're a bit touchy this evening, Soshi. Must be those bad whale dreams you get. <laughs> the whales always die in Soshi's dreams. They've recurred ever since she was a young girl. What would make a young girl dream about dead whales? I suppose if I don't tell you, Nigel will. Well, now, if you prefer, my dear, we can change the subject. No, no, it's all right. When I uh, first moved to New York with my father, a large envelope was left outside our apartment door. Inside the envelope were horrible pictures of dead whales. Whales killed by catcher boats my father owned. It was conservationists who left the pictures for her father. Did you show the pictures to your father? Yes, he tore them up. Sashi's father is still a major stockholder in the Japanese whaling industry. Now I understand why you're aboard the Requiem. Oh, do you? Yes, I think I do. Tell me, why do the pirate whalers go to so much trouble to hunt the blue whales? Greed. That's why. Greed. Blue whales yield twice as much oil and meat as their closest cousin, the fin whale. Yes, there's great prestige, too, when a whale kills a blue. Blue whales are clever and difficult to catch. What are you writing there in the dark? I'm just jotting down a few notes. I wish I would have been warned I'd be quoted. They're only reference notes and facts. I'm not quoting anybody. I like not having to worry what I say with my friends in private. Good night, everyone. Uh, good night. Eh. Everything I do upsets that lady. Easy, mate. You're letting her get under your skin. That's trouble. No, not me, Smithy. I'm not interested in trouble. Of course I was lying. I knew I needed Soshi's interview to sell my story. The more she ignored me, the more interested in her I became. I didn't like the situation but I accepted it as a hazard of the job. When the Requiem reached the coast of Argentina, I was on the bridge calmly discussing food spoilage with the captain. Well, someone obviously forgot to double-check the seal on the flour container. Otherwise, a week's worth of flour wouldn't have spoiled. Okay, I'll see that it doesn't happen again. Yeah, good. You do realize a food shortage could delay our pursuit of the Demas. I hope you're a better journalist than you are a galley cook. That's photojournalist. And I am. Captain Sutherland? Yes, Saucy, what is it? I just received this telex message out of Buenos Aires. It's from the Demas. Well, now we know that the Demas knows we're coming. Yeah, please read the telex, Saucy. Buenos Aires, October 2nd. Attention, Captain Requiem and crew. The Demas sails under the international laws of the sea. We will defend our right to fish sea lanes with force. The Demas possesses a peculiar view of international law. What are they expecting us to do when we find them? Start a war? It would appear that the Demas is prepared to fight one.
Requiem's pursuit of the pirate whaler Demos has taken her past Cape Horn, the tip of South America. Cape Horn's weather is recognized as the most violent in the world. 1,000 miles of gale-force winds lie ahead of the Requiem before she reaches the South Georgia Islands, where the great blue whales feed on the abundant accumulations of floating mollusks amid towering icebergs. Here in these primordial Antarctic summer seas, the pirate whalers make their cures. Mark, your galley is the only warm place on the ship in this inn. Come on in and share the warmth, Nigel. Oh, thank you. Uh, the Requiem is a small ship, Mark. I, since the last week, you're not happy. It shows, huh? Yes. Whenever so, she enters the room. Yeah. So she's been crossing my wires all right. I'd hoped she'd changed her mind and grant me an interview by now, but she hasn't spoken to me since the night the four of us sat out on the deck talking about whales. I think so she forms a new opinion of you. Well, she should know I wouldn't write anything about her. She wouldn't want people to read. Well, maybe a little item. She needs time. She's had almost three weeks to change her mind about me. Three weeks. Another twelve. We've not yet even sighted the demos. You're right. I won't press, Soshi. Nigel, are you all right? I... I hit my shoulder. And you? Nah, I'm fine. But lunch will have to be scraped up off the floor. Listen. Listen. No engines. We stopped dead in the water. What happened? Possibly we struck an iceberg. I'll grab my camera. Let's go have a look. Blast! What's, what's Smithy's leg? Careful tearing him below. Soshi, what happened to Smithy? Smithy broke his ankle in a collision. Oh, poor guy. He won't like being laid up. What did we hit? It an iceberg? Have, it might have been a, a submerged iceberg. No one's confirmed anything yet. Captain, look to pour it off the bow. Sweet stinks a lot. Will you get a load of the size of that whale? Incredible. I, I've never seen a blue whale to equal it. These tail flukes are like the wingspan of a small airplane. He's sounded now. I hope he wasn't hurt in the collision. Are you saying we struck that blue whale? That's right. We must have caught him napping. That whale stopped this 600-ton ship dead in the water? Whales sleep very close to the surface. Their power and strength are immense. Look! The, the blue surface. There, off the port bow. Uh, get your camera ready, Mark. Look! The blue's blowing right off our bow. His blow shot 20 feet into the air. I snapped a few shots for posterity. How big is that leviathan? The largest recorded blue whale was 36 meters. Well, this blue is certainly in that class. How does that translate into feet, Nigel? More than 100 feet long and over 150 tons in weight. Wow! The blue whale is swimming around the ship. I doubt the collision hurt him. Hey, is it normal for a whale to circle a ship? Uh, blue whales do possess a natural curiosity, but circling ships is a bit unusual. A bit? He's changed course. He's headed straight for our bow. He's going to ram us. We stood transfixed with the wind in our ears and our hearts pounding wildly as the great blue whale closed on the ship, 
Two hundred yards. One hundred yards. Sixty yards. It was over in a matter of seconds. The great blue hurled his body out of the water. I swear, the wind and my pounding heart both stopped at the sight of the great blue whale suspended in midair. It was as if we were the only witnesses to a mystical event, the greatest photograph of my career, and I didn't even know my camera was in my hands. He's forty meters at least, Nigel, or more. That's almost a hundred and fifty feet, Mark. My God. He found it again. What an incredible sight that was. The blue threw himself right out of the water, and I forgot to take his picture. During the next two days, when the requiem passed the South Georgia Islands, I found my thoughts continually returning to the great blue whale. On the third day after we collided with the great blue, we found the floating slaughterhouse. A gutted whale was strapped on either side of the ship, and the smell of death hung heavy in the cold Antarctic air. So that's the Demus. That ship there isn't the Demus. That's a refrigeration ship. Whale meat rots within forty-eight hours. Without the refrigeration ship, the Demus would be out of business. At least the pirate whalers can't afford factory ships. That would be a real nightmare. The whole whale, bone and all, can be processed on a factory ship in half an hour. Bridge. Captain Sutherland, the captain of the Demus wishes to speak to you. The Demus is returning to the refrigeration ship now. I'll be in the radio room in a moment, Sochi. Mind if I tag along? All right. Smithy, you're in charge of the bridge. Ah, Captain. This is Dimitrios Papadoulos, captain of the Demos. Captain Sutherland here. Captain Sutherland, did you receive my telex message? Oh, yes. The message wishing my crew and me bon voyage. You will discover I am not a man who jokes. Do not misjudge me as one either, Captain Papadoulos. Tomorrow, when you play your child's game with your rubber rafts, make certain your crew can evade my harpoons. I may miss the whale I'm hunting and seize your toy boat. The Demus has broken transmission, Captain. He sounds serious. Papadoulos is insane. Anyone sent overboard in polar waters wouldn't survive twenty minutes. Who's going out in the raft tomorrow? Ben Smithy was before he broke his ankle with a two-man crew. But uh, under the circumstances, I go alone. But Captain, how can you go alone? You can't keep your eyes on the whales and the Demus at the same time. I've had some experience with pirate whalers. I'm quite capable of doing my own harpoon dodging. Captain, I didn't sign on as your galley cook just to end up shooting my whale pictures from the Requiem's poop deck. Are you volunteering to go out on the water with me tomorrow? Yes, I can operate the radio for you. That's ridiculous. Whales aren't his cause. Hey, I'm over twenty-one. Don't tell me what my causes are. What's going to happen out there tomorrow is no joke. Captain, you could find a better man from the crew than Mr. Brogan to ride with you. Nobody in your crew wants to be out on that water more than I do tomorrow. I need those close-ups of the Demus if I'm going to sell the story someday. Just what I thought. Your cause is good old number one. Yeah. Well, this will be one time when looking out for number one might save a couple of whales. I'm your man. All right, Mr. Grogan, it's settled then. Tomorrow, you and I will find out just how serious Captain Papadoulos is. About harpooning two men in a rubber raft. Uh-huh.
again, and here's the fourth act of the Whale Sabers. Captain Sutherland had Smithy post a 24-hour watch in case the Demas attempted a clandestine departure during the night. For all the sleep I got that night, I could have stood the watch myself. So she found me smoking a cigarette in the corridor outside my cabin. Can't sleep, Mark? Do I look tired? No, I guess you don't. Wait a minute. Let's run up the truce flag one more time. You just called me Mark. What happened to that Mr. Grogan jazz? I decided Mr. Grogan was too formal to call any man willing to risk his life to save whales, regardless of personal motives. I told you all along that I'd been after a good feature story. You did? And I kept my distance from you because I wanted you to discover the real story of the year was the whales, not me. I'm still hoping you give me an interview. We could talk now, in your cabin. You see, Mark, my work aboard the Requiem put new purpose in my life. But I wouldn't be honest if I said I didn't occasionally miss the excitement of the social life I led in New York. The fishbowl attention from the media I don't miss. Does this reporter still bother you? I like this reporter. Well... Put a point up on the board for me. Soshi, we've been doing a lot of talking. Of course, you're tired. Maybe I'd better leave. No, 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 no. I I was just thinking. About what? About how nice it would be to kiss you. Oh. Then I will leave. Oh, I wish this cabin had a carpet. I need something to crawl under. Why? It was a nice thought. Yeah, sure. I just got carried away. I... I don't know what made me think you liked me. I, I mean, how does it look? I use an interview to make a pass at you. You weren't being unprofessional because you picked up on my feelings for you. Now I'm really confused. You don't want me to kiss you, but you're glad I made a pass at you. Is that it? No. What I'm saying is that under different circumstances, I'm not so sure I would refuse. Mark... Tonight's the first time since we met that I see something in you I like. You've changed somehow. Well, before I was only interested in making a name for myself. Now I'm concerned about saving whales. I think that's great. What we need is time to get to know one another. Like maybe on a date when we get back to England, huh? Yes, I'd like that. And in the meantime, we're just a couple of amiable shipmates aboard the Requiem. That's the way I'd like our relationship to be for now. Okay? Okay. Okay. Good night, Soshi. If Soshi had hoped our conversation would help take my mind off the Demas, she succeeded. I spent the rest of the night thinking about her. Captain, this bounce back on the sonar screen shows what looks like a small group of whales... Two or three at most. Uh, could be whales or flows from a stray iceberg. Well, we have entered iceberg waters. Uh, whatever it is, the Demas must be picking it up, too. See how the bounce-back pattern varies a bit? I think we found whales. Mm. Oh, Mark, you're just in time. So she thinks she has a bounce-back on the sonar indicating whales nearby. Smithy has our raft ready. It is a whale bounce-back. The Demas is headed for the bounce-back reading. We better shove off, Mark. We have to beat the Demas to those whales. Well, you cannot run the Demas in your motorized draft. My camera's all packed, Captain. You lead. Mark, 
Be careful. Oh, you you take care too, Captain Sutherland. Under Smithy's expert direction, it took the crew only five minutes to get our raft into the water and the captain and me over the side. This outboard's a bit of a puzzle to get started, but once she catches, there's no quitting it until she runs out of gas. Captain Sutherland, do you read me? Soshi, this is Mark. We read you just fine. Nigel and I will keep in contact over the portable radio from the bridge. Ah, that's the ticket. Soshi, we're off. Good luck to both of you. My camera's viewfinder was welded to my eye as Captain Sutherland steered straight for the Demas. I felt ridiculously small as we sailed alongside the 780-ton catcher boat at 15 knots, like a gnat buzzing the head of a lion. Your steering is too close to the Demas. I'm flaunting our courage. Hey, you better ease up, Captain. I'd like to save a little courage for another day. We're fighting a war of wills. Psychology and speed are our only weapons. A harpoon can put a big hole in your psychology. Let's play down the intimidation stuff. Not on your life. I was just about to remind Captain Sutherland that I was already risking my life when we passed the catcher boat's bow. Twelve feet above us, with one hand in the harpoon launcher, stood Captain Papadoulos. The hate etched across his face made a wonderful close-up through my zoom lens. On our right there. It's the whale she spotted on the sonar screen. I see them. Look, a mother and her cop. The cop swimming alongside his mother. Under the IWC's laws, that makes the mother an illegal cat. Ah. IWC laws make no difference to the demons. Well, what about the calf? Uh, the demons will spare the calf only because there's no profit in the kill. For over an hour, Captain Sutherland jockeyed our rubber raft into position behind the fleeing whales. But the chase proved too much for the tiring calf, and the demons closed to 50 yards, killing distance. Why don't the whales sound again? The calf's too tired. It's like asking a four-year-old child to keep pace in an Olympic marathon. Captain, I can see Papa Dulles lining up his harpoon on the mother whale. Huh? Papa Dulles is too close to miss at this range. If the mother doesn't abandon her calf, she'll die. She'll never abandon her calf. Now hold on for sweet life. I'm moving us in as close as possible to the mother. Requiem to Lifeline. Lifeline, he's back. So she who's back? Over. The Great Blue. Nigel spotted the Great Blue Whale 3,000 yards off your port bow on a 10 o'clock heading. Yes, I can see him blow now. Uh, the Demas has abandoned him, the mother and her calf for the Great Blue. Mark, Nigel's following the Blue through his binoculars. He says the Great Blue just sounded. That was the first of 12 soundings. For five hours, the freezing salt water stung our faces as we blocked the Demas' path to the Great Blue. Captain Papadoulos pursued the great blue whale with fanatical determination. It proved to be the mistake of his life. The great blue can't shake the Demas. He's tried every trick he knows. Uh, Papadoulos is too experienced a whaler for the blue to evade him. Now prepare yourself, Mark. The blue's blowing again. I'm already drenched from the last half dozen blows. Captain, the Demas is turning. Which way? To starboard. We have to beat Papadoulos into position. I'll give it my best. But Demas is gaining on us. It's a good job of sailing, Mr. 
Papadupa to stay ten yards off us on that last turn. Well, the Blues picked a hell of a time to slow his pace. What's wrong with him? He's been swimming full tilt for five hours. Even a creature his size gets tired. How close will Papadoulas bring the Demas before he fires? Fifty yards. Papadoulas will launch a percentage shot. And the Demas is about 80 yards in closing. Yeah. We've got to help the blue hold Papadoulas off until dark. He could slip away in the night. Yeah, the night won't stop the Demas. Harpoon! Get your head down! Dear God! The blue whale's thrashing. You said Papa Julius wouldn't fire over 50 yards. Uh, that Papa Julius is a damned lucky shot. The water's turned crimson around the blue. <sighs> All we can do now is return to the requiem. We were 10 feet behind the blue when Papa Julius fired. It was a perfect shot. No, not perfect. See where the harpoon entered the blue? Behind the flipper. A bad spot for any whaler. This won't be a fast or an easy kill for the demons. When we returned to the rec room, Soshi met the captain and me with warm blankets and tears in her eyes. The great blue will die now, won't he, Captain? Uh, Soshi, you know whalers seldom lose a harpoon whale. Here, wrap yourself in these blankets. You two are chilled to the bone. Uh, thank you, Smith. We, we did everything we could. We really did. Uh, Papa Doulis landed a very lucky shot. I know. Captain, Nigel would like to speak with you in the radio room. There's hot coffee waiting there, too. See here on the sonar screen, Captain. Only five kilometers due south. Yeah, that's a frightfully large iceberg. Yeah, I'd prefer to avoid it. Sir, the Demas. I'll bet the sweetest draft of ale in Liverpool on that one. Due south is the very direction the Great Blue drags the Demas. The Great Blue is dragging the Demas now? Yes, at eight knots, even with the Demas engines in full reverse. How's it possible for a harpoon whale to drag three times its own weight? Well, whales display phenomenal strength when they're harpooned. And this blur is a phenomenal whale. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll be entering the iceberg area ourselves shortly. I'll have one of the crew establish an iceberg watch on the bow. Look at that sonar screen. The Great Blue just dragged the Demas into the iceberg area. <laughs> Another iceberg dead ahead, Captain. Uh, the course change I just made should take us around this one. The Demas has managed to evade every iceberg in its path the way we have. How far, that is. I imagine the sonar operator aboard the Demas is an extremely disturbed man than all. Did you hear that? I heard it. Could be two icebergs colliding nearby. No, no, I watched it on the sonar screen. The Demas has struck an iceberg. The Great Blue did it! <laughs> it's as if the Great Blue had planned to drag the Demas into the iceberg area. Oh, no, 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 I rather doubt that, Marsh. But, Nigel, the Great Blue maintained a due south course throughout the entire hunt until he reached the iceberg area. Then, and only then, did the great blue constantly change direction. Uh, yeah, 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 Th this is true, but then who would This believe? is whaling ship Demos. Mayday! Repeat, Mayday! It's Papadoulos. When the great blue won his battle, I forgot about the lives of the men aboard the Demos. We are attacking on water. Come in, Requiem. Smithy, get to the bridge. Put us on the Demos heading. Ah, Captain. Mayday! Mayday! Come in, Requiem! I'll man the radio, Sosi. Captain Papadoulos, this is Captain Sutherland. We are maneuvering to answer your mayday now. Repeat, 
The Requiem has begun immediate rescue operation. Thank you, Captain Sutherland. For a moment, I feared your ship saved only whales, not whalers. My crew is not above saving human lives, Captain. Even the lives of pirate whalers. With bitterness, I thank you. Captain, what are the odds that the Great Blue is still alive? I shouldn't imagine his chances are very good. Not with a harpoon in his side. But it is possible he'll survive. What do you think, Nigel? Whales suffer from pneumonia and tumors, skin and teeth infections, even kidney stones. They suffer, adjust, and survive, Mark. I would not be surprised to hear someday of the sighting of a great blue whale with a harpoon in its side. No corroboration of the requiem sighting of the great blue whale was ever made. Marine biologists who studied Mark Grogan's detailed photographs drew one conclusion. The harpooning of the great blue whale resulted in its death from loss of blood and from shock. They lamented the lost opportunity to study the largest animal that ever lived. And for a time, the story of the great blue whale's revenge captured the world's imagination. The International Whaling Commission once again opened serious debate on a 10-year whaling moratorium to rebuild the populations of all species, not just those in danger of extinction. But even at the height of this media attention, there remained those uninterested observers with a single question foremost in their minds. Why should I care whether the whales live or die? Possibly the best answer to this question was offered 100 years ago by an American named Henry David Thoreau when he said, I wish to know an entire heaven and an entire earth. This inherent right of mankind is the legacy which the whale savers work to pass on to future generations. Mutual Radio Theater is brought to you five nights a week at this time. Tonight's original radio play, The Whale Savers, was written by Bruce Martin and produced and directed by Fletcher Markle. Your host was Leonard Nimoy. Our stars were Tommy Cook, Joan McCall, and Drew Boardman. Featured in the cast were Parley Bear, Richard Peel, and Larry Moss. The music for Radio Theater was composed and conducted by Nelson Riffle. John Harlan speaking. Associate Director of Mutual Radio Theater is Ken McManus. Sound effects were created by Bud Tollefson. Mark Trella is Production Supervisor. Recording Engineer, Hal McDonald. Music Editor, Lee Ringette. The Elliott Lewis production of Mutual Radio Theater is a presentation of CBI. This is Lorne Green. Listen in on Monday for another story about the West, as it was then, as it is now.
And that's this week's Mutual Presents feature. The Mutual Audio Network brings the best of old-time radio and modern audio theater to the world. Be sure to subscribe through the Mutual Audio Network podcast feed, any of our podcast days, or the Mutual YouTube channel, which includes MadCon and many other extra features and shows. See you all next time at Mutual Presents. Good night. Thank you for listening to Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. We invite you to continue the amazing audio tomorrow on Mutual with the Monday Matinee. Our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic, and live radio dramas. You can subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed every day for the world's largest curated collection of audio drama. Or find the Monday Matinee feed in your favorite podcast players. See you tomorrow at the matinee, and thanks so much for listening. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.